everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Oh yes, Mick. Uh, right, hold on. I've better put my glasses back on. There we go. Oh Mick, there you are. You know, there's this <laughs> weird strange man who... I would say it almost looked identical to you, but not wearing glasses. But that definitely means he must have been a separate person. Yes, absolutely. And and the hair was slightly better combed. And you had better posture. Yeah. And wasn't as clumsy. Yeah, I oh. Oh, bad news. We we can't behold the episode this week. Oh. Uh, Unfortunately, the member of the crew who I just stapled all my lines to the back of, he's uh, he's run off. And so I can't continue this five minutes of work that I've been paid millions of dollars to do. Uh, Has Graham gone off to host an episode of Pop Screen? (laughs) Yes, that's... Taking your script with him. Actually, if anything, is, is Graham our Marlon Brando? I think he'd be quite pleased with that. So let's not make it... Yeah, let's... Let's, <laughs> let's never tell him we said that. <laughs> let's make him have Gene Hackman instead. And then we can make him wear a variety of different wigs. Wait, but then which of us is Otis and which of us is Miss Tesmacher? Um, well. That's a good question. I don't think either of us have got the build for Miss Tesmacher. No, we certainly don't have the hips for those dresses. I'll tell you what, you be Otis, I'll be plucky photographer, Jimmy Olsen, who's also not much use in this film. I mean, is he ever? (laughs) Well, true. So yes, this week we are going to be talking about Superman, the 1978 film directed by Richard Donner. I always forget written by Mario Puzo. Yeah. Which Can I get my biggest gripe about this film out of the way now? Y- yes, especially because I think it's a an only specific to you gripe because of what you've done. No no no. This is separate to what we were talking about before recording started. Alright. The tagline for this film when it came out was You'll believe a man can fly. I was a 10-year-old boy who read comics. I already believed men could fly and fire massive laser guns and build spaceships and fly through time and space in a police box. Do your research. I did it there. But it never says that you'll believe a man can fly after seeing this film. I thought that was kind of implicit. 
no, no, I think it's more just a, you, you, yeah, you, the one queuing up to see a Superman film. You're the type who believes a man can fly. And also, it, it wasn't actually this film, it was its sequel, Superman 2. It uh, was my first ever cinema disappointment. Because Superman 2 was out at the same time as Disney did one of the, I think it's probably their first reissues of a classic animated show. And at the time, my foster family consisted of mum, dad, two girls, and me. And when we got asked what we wanted to go see at the cinema, I was outvoted. Damn you, democracy! Yeah, Superman 2 is not winning that argument. So, on Monday at school, all my mates blabbing their mouth out about General Zod and Superman. Me, Snow White. I've had therapy. I'm not sure it helped because Dr. Quinzel was a bit. But, you know. Oh, you know, I've always wondered about the face paint. <laughs> now it makes more sense. Oh, no. That's that's not face paint. It was part of the therapy. She got me to staple her boyfriend's face onto my head. She said it was a normal treatment. I mean, can't be any worse than Floyd. <laughs> Should also point out, because I'm a stickler for these kind of things, that the film was, co was also written by David Leslie Newman and Robert Benton, and is based on the DC character created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. So, and, and also the usual disclaimer, this episode will contain spoilers for a 44-year-old film. Yeah, a 44-year-old film, which I'm pretty sure, even if you haven't seen, you know the plot of. Because it's just so entrenched in pop culture. <laughs> even if you haven't seen the film, you'll have seen the important bits. <laughs> yeah, I mean... As I've mentioned before, before we started recording, this might be the most redundant synopsis I've ever done on the show. <laughs> Which, I mean, should, should we just jump straight into the synopsis and then we can maybe circle yeah. back to some comic stuff while we're talking about the film? Yeah. How did you first encounter Superman? That, it's all like, you know, a little bit, isn't it? Like... Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can maybe for once assume that you are somewhat familiar with the character Superman. I think I first read a Superman comic when I was about five years old. So, you know, that's a long, that's nearly half a, half a century ago. Yes. God, I, I just had a... The comic wasn't in black and white. Well, the cover wasn't. 
But I was, I was going to say, I just had one of the really weird, like, old school nerd moments of going, oh, yeah, I mean, three, Superman's one of, like, three superheroes that everyone knows. But I, because obviously back in there was, like, Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman. But now I guess it's like loads more, isn't it? Like, we live in a world where just people on the street know who Iron Man is. I know. And I think there's like whole generations that I can't articulate how weird that is to. Yeah. I mean, I get where you're coming from. Um, I mean, I found it weird in the 90s when I was at work and the people I worked with were going down to the comic shop at at lunchtime and coming back with graphic novel. That was bizarre. That was a head... uh, I was going to say something rude then. I'll not do that. Especially not while Christopher Reeve is behind you looking on disapprovingly. Not not while I've got the, the overgrown DC Boy Scout himself looking at me. But yeah, um... I think you're probably right. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, everybody knew. Everyone else. Maybe Hulk as well. Hulk was quite well known, but that was about it. Yeah, Hulk. And I I guess... Kind of in late... Especially post-X-Men. Like I think Wolverine probably gets around about that sort of level. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing to bear in mind with this film is there hadn't really been a proper movie, live-action movie, based on comic book properties since the 1966 Batman movie, which was essentially just an extended episode of the TV show. Yeah, this is certainly like the first essentially blockbuster superhero movie. Which makes it all the more disappointing that he does not fight the DC villain Blockbuster. <laughs> is, is, is the DC villain Blockbuster one that you can only, he can only do evil for 24 hours and he has to be returned to the shop? If only. <laughs> see, see, every story is part one, you think he's the main villain. But the real villain is actually the clerk at the store who checks if you've rewound him or not. Yes. Should I do that synopsis that I was going to do and then? Yeah, just... let's let's do that. I remember the format now. So, on the planet Krypton, scientist Jor El, played by Marlon Brando, sends his son Kal El off in, in a rocket moments before the entire planet is destroyed by an exploding sun. After three years of travelling through space, the infant Kal-El lands on Earth, where he's adopted by Jonathan and Martha Kent, led by Glenn Ford and Phyllis Thaxter, who name their new son Clark. As Clark grows into a teen, he discovers that his Kryptonian DNA gives him incredible powers, which are being stronger than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, etc, etc. I suspect I don't need to explain what the powers of Superman are. No. No, because so, at this point, we haven't had all the many rainbow hues of kryptonite forced upon us. Indeed. Although I will say, 
just as a, a side tangent, one weird thing I noticed. He doesn't use heat vision at any point in this film. No. Which seems weird because that's one of like the big Superman powers. You've got to hold something back for the sequel. Especially when it's being filmed simultaneously. Yeah. I mean, and also I suspect when a larger part of the budget is in that second film. And and how gutsy a move was that, by the way, in 1978? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing... <laughs> well, even now, it's usually like the second and third... Like, you get yeah. the first one, and that's proved it's a hit. But to just go in and be, yeah, this is going to do gangbusters. Let's just do two of them at once. <laughs> anyway, despite all these powers, uh, Clark is unable to save Jonathan from dying of a heart attack. On his 18th birthday, Clark receives a psychic call, leading him to a glowing crystal in the spaceship he traveled to Earth in. Taking the crystal to the Arctic, it grows into the Fortress of Solitude, where a hologram of Jor-El teaches him about his origins and that he was sent to Earth to save and guide humanity. Uh, years later, an older Carol, now played by Christopher Reeve, flies out of the fortress in a red and blue costume and travels to Metropolis. As Clark Kent, he begins working as a journalist for the Daily Planet, where he meets fellow journalist Lois Lane, played by Margot Kidder. Uh, Lois is unimpressed by the meek and bumbling Clark, but after a series of public displays of heroism, begins to fall in love with Superman, unaware that they are one and the same. Superman's, ant Superman's antics also gain the attention of criminal mastermind Lex Luthor, played by Gene Hackman. Lex is able to get his hands on a radioactive chunk of the planet Krypton, kryptonite if you will, and uses it to rob Superman of his powers, and imprison him while Lex carries out his plan. Which, Which is to... a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Yeah, his plan to fire a missile into the San Andreas Fault, causing California to fall into the ocean, so that all of the land that Lex owns behind that then <laughs> becomes a beachfront property. Uh, Superman is freed by Lex's girlfriend, Miss Tesmacher, played by Valerie Perrin, as Lex has also launched a second missile at New Jersey, where her mother lives. Uh, Superman is able to stop the missile, but is too late to stop the other missile hitting California. He is able to repair the damage to the San Andreas Fault, though, and save California, but while he's doing this, Lois is killed by a landslide. Superman's having none of that, though, so... And say it with me, everyone. He flies around the world so fast that he's able to travel back in time and save Lois in a rest lax. And then he flies off and the music goes bum ba da da dum bum 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 ba ba da bum bum ba da And that's Superman. With due apologies to Johnny. It's once again <laughs> one of the only things we don't have to worry about about this show is getting brought up on copyright strikes for music. Ah, <laughs> uh, so 
what yeah, we should so... have done what we should have done is as you did the synopsis i should have gone meanwhile if you're watching the director's cut yeah wow wow that's gonna tie into the points because because i think first of all we need to explain we watched two different versions of superman by accident we, we did because there's the two and a half hour theatrical cut that I watched and the three hour extended cut that you accidentally, well, mostly watched. Right. So do you want to do the start of your synopsis again? And I'll interject with where it varies. So, on the planet Krypton, scientist Jor-El, played by Marlon Brando, sends his son Kal-El off in a rocket moments before the entire planet... After a 48-day trial by his peers. It's Because to be that bit of the extended one I have seen, because you've got that whole trial, you've got, like, you, got General the, Zod in there as well to yeah, set you, up Superman got, 2. Because I thought I'd, I'd started watching Superman 2 by mistake. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you have the trial of General Zod Ursa and non. And then, as a direct consequence of that, you've got um, Jor-El warning the elders that the actions taken by Zod and his chums have put the world in peril. Then he gets accused of scaremongering and sedition and gets warned that if he doesn't shut up, he'll... <laughs> but this takes so long. <laughs> it does. The and, three hour and, you, version, and you require Kryptonian law degree to understand it. It is, but yeah, just what I saw of the extended cut, the whole thing is just an absolute drag. But at least they get more value for money out of Marlon Brando. That's true. Although I do feel like a lot of that is just repeating some of his lines <laughs> over and over. <laughs> but yeah. Also, a point I wanted to make about that is just to correct you, because it's actually, it's not the director's cut. Isn't it? It's very specifically a cut of the film that the director, Richard Donner, says, do not watch this because it's garbage. Ah, right. The extended cut. Yes, because quite famously, Richard Donner got kind of fired partway through Superman 2. Yes. So this extended version was made like without his involvement. And it's much like another film starring Superman, just collecting <laughs> a bunch of random bits that were clearly cut out for pacing Early and up. shoving them back in to make a horrible, slow, awful trudge of a film. Uh, so, just, just, just to frame this, obviously Superman the movie, having come out when I was 10 years old, is a film that I have watched lots of times over the last 40 odd years so i didn't really need to re-watch it to do this review i started watching it and it was 45 minutes before anything super happened except for the bit where the young kal-el lifts the truck up to save um jonathan kent early on that was it everything else and bear in mind, it's a film that you watch. If you've seen it already, it's a film that you watch for those iconic Superman moments. Catching Lois Lane, catching the bullet, um, changing in a phone box, 
these are the story beats of a good Superman movie. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say, like, even watching the theatrical cut, like, the beginning is a bit of a drag because it's what kind of 30 40 minutes before we get to Metropolis. But yeah, in that extended version, it's a full on hour before like I, the actual Superman film starts. But I think in its defense, you know, we're watching that through modern eyes. And as you alluded to earlier, um, the general cinematic audience is a much more aware of superheroes entity than it was back then. Back then, you know, we're only what a year on from Star Wars blowing people's minds. So Expecting them to also have an in-depth encyclopedic knowledge of the DC universe is pushing it. So you're going to expect lengthy intros. Yeah, and I think it's just by the nature of this being an older film, they do tend to be a bit slower paced. Yeah, it's also difficult to set to to. It's also difficult with this to place it in time because. It feels like it's set in modern day, but everybody's still wearing those big collared suits of the 40s. Yeah, it's kind of does the same thing that Batman does, where it's like, is this the 80s? Is it the future? Is it the 1920s? We don't know. And you know what? I absolutely love that. (laughs) I mean, there's there's an argument to say and again, because it's so long since I saw the the original version, I don't know whether this is part of the extended cut, but there was a little sort of tree section where it had a, an action comics being read by a small boy, narrated by a small boy, um, and it said, meanwhile, in Metropolis, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, uh, I think that might be the extended cut. Because I'll, like, just to fully explain, I also started watching the extended cuts, got an hour in, said, this is unbearable, found the theatrical cuts, but then also, like, skipped ahead a bit. Yeah, well, I I started watching the extended cut, realised I was watching the extended cut, and ran out of time to then watch the theatrical cut as well. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, I, I can sympathise. I've been spinning quite a few plates to fit in Superman this weekend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I I don't I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's a particularly slow movie for the era, though. Yeah, I mean, as we were just talking about the beginning of the film, I feel like. Once we actually get to Metropolis, like it's, I had a very fun time with this film. Yeah. I, like it doesn't feel like it drags it, drifts along at a nice pace. Yeah. Um, it's just getting there. Um, but logic floor number one how does Perry White say Clark Kent? on as a cub report of when despite the lengthy build-up we've had to him getting to Metropolis we've seen no evidence of him going to college to study journalism 
I mean, different times in it. And then he takes the city beat from his top reporter and gives it to this new, no experience cub reporter just because he can type fast. I mean, I think there's a very easy answer to that. I said Perry White's bad at his job. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, at least it's not the Elvis quoting Perry White from uh, the new adventures. <laughs> oh, the adventures of Lois and Superman. Or Lois and Clark. What was it called? The Terry Hatcher one. Um, the adventures of Lois yeah, and Clark. That was... Yeah, that that was Lois and Clark, I think. Yeah, not and to be the new one is Superman and Lois, isn't that's it? That's right. Yes, with Juliet uh, from the Grimm series playing Juliet from the Grimm series again. Well, if if you've got a niche. <laughs> yeah, so that's gripe number one. Logic flaw number one. I thought a steady build up to the time travel logic flaw. <laughs> Fair enough, just like gently seed them in. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I like this film for quite a few reasons. The story is not one of those reasons though, I think. <laughs> It seems that they are destined to not get Lex Luthor right on the big screen. Yeah, even even like at the fundamental level, because I know one of these things was Gene Hackman didn't want to wear a bald cap for most of the film. So Lex Luthor just has hair a lot of the time. Yeah. Which is, I mean, almost like saying... Well, you know how Superman's really well known for his bright and colourful costume? What if we just wash all those colours out? <laughs> yeah, it's um It's because the other the other problem with Lex Luthor is that of course in the comics he's famous for being an amoral but highly successful and highly intelligent businessman. Yes, although, to be fair with that, that's not really the film's fault. Because I think that characterization came in, like, mid to late 80s. Did it? Yeah, because I think that's basically Lex Luthor after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when, like, they rebooted DC. Before that, it was just kind of like a, a mad scientist guy. Even so, still a departure for this version of Lex Luthor, who appears to be almost a Class C villain. Yeah, he's just some weird guy who lives underneath the train station and yeah. wants to be a real estate mogul. Whereas the Lex Luthor from the comics would have either been in a skyscraper with his name on the side, or being a mad scientist somewhere. Yeah, he would have had, like, his big Legion of Doom base in Slaughter Swamp. Yeah. Which that's... In terms of comic book place names, that's one of the good ones. 
Indeed. So, that's gripe number two out of the way. <laughs> I've got logic flaws and I've got gripes with this movie. But I still genuinely think it's probably the best, the second best film adaptation of Superman out there. Wait, what's, what's number one? The sequel. Oh! Which automatically gets bonus points because of Terrence Stamp. Yeah, I guess. It's been a while since I've seen the sequel. But I remember, like, not loving the original version that much because of... Because it's kind of weird tonally because it's like... Richard Donner quite serious bits. And then what's his name who came afterwards with like weird goofy humor. Yeah, Richard Lester, that's the guy. I will I'll have to watch the Donner cut at some point, because I imagine that'll fix a lot of that. Yeah. But even even the original Lester cut, I I just felt because she and again it, it it it's the nature of the beast, because you haven't got all the setup of Kal-El's history. It just it, it's faster paced from the start. Yeah, exactly. You can just kind of get into things. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that will probably be a conversation for another episode. Indeed. But, I mean, we should probably just talk about Christopher Reeve, right? Yes. Because this, this might be a controversial opinion, but Christopher Reeve, good Superman, and a good Clark Kent. Yes. The one actor who managed to pull off that complete turnabout of character to go from the confident, um, erudite, and uh, heroic Superman figure to the bumbling almost comedic Clark Kent. Yeah, because I know we kind of joked about it a bit at the beginning, but I genuinely love that bit where he's thinking about revealing himself to Lois. Yeah. And just the bit where he takes his glasses off and just shifts his posture. He's like, oh, yeah, no, this is... They've swapped out Christopher Reeve for an entirely different actor. <laughs> oh, no, wait, no, they haven't. <laughs> and it, it is, and, it, you know... I think um, he managed to sustain that throughout across four movies. Yeah, uh, of so. varying qualities. Of the, the films themselves were of varying quality, but the, the one constant throughout was Reeve himself. Yeah, because he, he is just absolutely fantastic. Like, I think there's a reason why he is the definitive Superman. Yeah. Um, are you listening, Cavill? Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, I think Henry Cavill is a good Superman when he's given good Superman material to work with. That's rare, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the problem. I mean, we don't even know if Brandon Rouse is a good Superman when he's given good Superman material. Uh, it was good in Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's true, actually, yeah. 
Because, yeah, because that was one of those things that made me even more annoyed at Superman Returns retroactively. Because <laughs> he is such a good Superman. <laughs> but he's no Christopher Reeve. No. Although if you really wanted to stretch Brandon Routh's talents, you'd have to have a live-action Captain Atom Superman crossover movie. No, he's just the Atom, isn't he? Oh, the Atom. So many Atoms. Because Superman's taking on Atom Smasher as well, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, because there's like Atom, Atom Smasher, Captain Atom, different versions of the Atom. Up an Atom. What's it like Super Friends? I'm pretty sure there was a character in something called Up and Atom. Really? Yeah, or, or no, no, it might have been that that was some character's catchphrase. I'm going to have to look this up now. Oh, it's Nuclear Man on um, the Radioactive Boy on uh, Simpsons. That's it. Yeah, so Christopher Reeve because so one of the big reasons I picked the film for us to do this week is, I, th I think I've mentioned before, just how much I hate evil Superman. Yes. Just the idea that that's the only way you can do an interesting Superman character is just to make him the absolute worst. Yes. And just especially with the new series of The Boys starting fairly recently as yeah. we're recording this. Just, I wanted a break from that. <laughs> uh, this this has been just a lovely tonic. <laughs> yes. So, um, okay. Uh, so we we've done Lex Luthor. We've done. We have, except I've also just remembered my favourite bit. Oh, what's your favourite bit? It's it's the bit just after he saves Lois from falling out the helicopter where he says, You know, Ms. Lane, I hope this doesn't discourage you from flying. Statistically, it's this still... Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the Superman I want. Yeah. It's... You see, this is this is what I remember about Superman. Superman was part superhero, part public information film. Because around the time, actually, it was probably uh, more around the time of the sequels. Probably Superman three and four. But um, Superman got used in a series of anti-smoking commercials. In which he fought the bad guy, Nick O'Teen. I mean, that seems like a bit of a mismatch. Um, in fact, I'm going to find. There we go. And I'm going to share this with you. This is. This is not for you at home. Uh, this is purely for the edification of my uh, 
Steam to fill up on us. Can you see that? Oh, wow. Yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> that is... I mean, it basically looks like the child statue from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but <laughs> with cigarettes. They, they were the posters that were up and around my school back in the day. Why nicotine is a weed? Oh, I, also, I also didn't notice before. Nicotine is T-E-E-N. Yeah. Is, is this man supposed to be a teenager? Because he is clearly, like, late 40s. No, I, I, I think the reason he says... The, I think the reason he's called Nick O-Teen, spelled T, teen as in teenager, is that the campaign was aimed at teenagers to stop them smoking before their life was stolen. Oh, or nicked. Or you see. I mean, it was a call to arms. You had things like, can you help Superman unmask the evil Nick O'Teen? But he's... Now, I would say he doesn't seem to actually be wearing a mask, though. Well, you say that, but there he's turned up as Merlin. There he's turned up as Wurzel Gummidge. There he appears to have turned up as uh, John Constantine. So, you know, he did disguise himself quite a bit. I like the fact I like the fact that he's got a hat in the shape of a cigarette butt. <laughs> also, you mentioned him earlier. I guess these campaigns did not run in John Constantine's school. Presumably not. Or maybe they just didn't reach to him. Maybe they didn't speak to him in the same way that they spoke to other kids. But yes. Uh, so that was... Uh, <laughs> that was nicotine. But well, well, you've done it, Mick and Superman. You've certainly convinced me not to smoke. And, uh, and of course, he also bore an uncanny resemblance to a UK superhero featuring in uh, adverts at the time. Our good friend, Darth Vader himself, the Green Cross Man. Oh yeah, David Prowse. That's... I mean, I assume he was not overdubbed by James Earl Jones in this. No, no, no. He taught you how to cross the road safely. We, we've gone down a very strange rabbit hole. We have, haven't we? This this isn't what I was expecting to be today. <laughs> but it's right up there with the, statistically, still the safest way to fly. I'll stop distracting you. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be too little too late, I think I'm... <laughs> I do feel like I've just had centuries worth of knowledge like beamed into my brain by a hologram of Marlon Brando. <laughs> that was a shocking effect as well, wasn't it? 
Even, even, given, the ex, uh, given the quite impressive model shots of Krypton, comparing that to the holographic Jor-El, they should have stuck with practicals. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the big things about this film, isn't it? It really shows that practical effects, kind of, they do have a timelessness that you don't get with CGI, especially very early CGI. Yeah. I even noticed it uh, with the um, title sequence, which again is very distinctive. And a few years ago, I emulated that title sequence for a, a video compilation that I was putting together. And it took me three days to render. It took me about two hours to actually create the, the, the sequence. If you look on the if you look on the ones for the actual film, you get the front of the three D letters, and you get the back sweeping backwards. But then there's a jump on every single credit where it's just flat. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially looks like where they've just gone to the next slide with the Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> lovely smooth animation. Also, it's funny that you said that it took you three days to make your version. Because I'm pretty sure three days is how long these credits go on for. Yes, there are a lot of them. Yeah, and boy, I I had forgotten what it's like to watch an older film where they just do all the credits at the start. Yeah, and Christopher Reeve is quite, quite a way through. Yeah, because it's like below Marlon Brando and below Gene Hackman. Yeah. I mean, at least it's not below Jeff East. <laughs> Second unit director. <laughs> um, so, right, so that, Jimmy Olsen, Matt McClure, who you may remember from such films as. Well, what do we remember? That's another Simpsons reference there. Oh, yeah, because Troy McClure. Yeah. But I believe it's based on Mark McClure. Because I think he was in a few bits and pieces like Journey to the Centre of the Earth, that kind of thing. But yeah, um, I know he's supposed to be like comedic relief, but he, he's just irritating, I think. Yeah, I feel like he's maybe. He's this movie's not... Richard Pryor. Oh, that's. I, I'd say that's a bit too harsh, I'd say. He's just kind of. An ineffectual thing in the corner. Yeah. He is, he is to this film what Margot Kidder is to later films. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's not her. And he, the thing, I think the thing is that it would be all right if he was actually likable in the film, but he's not. He's that. He's that kid who bullies the new guy because he was the new guy who got bullied. I don't know if he's even that, because my problem with Jimmy Olsen is he just, he's not really much of anything. Yeah. I think that's it, to try and make himself a bit of something. He then passes on whatever instructions he's been given to um, the other guy who's new to the office. The intern. Yeah, and I think I think you probably could build a fun character around that. You could. It's just again, uh, he's just not really there to do much. It's uh, and I think had it just been a reporter from the, a photographer from the Daily Planet rather than the you know for comic book readers almost as iconic as the main character. Because Jimmy Olsen's always been there with Lois and Clark, hasn't he? Yeah. So, you know. And he has had his own comic book series. Yeah. And he is course, Superman's pal. And of course, in Supergirl, the series became Guardian. I assume that he's not quite the same Jimmy Olsen as, like, traditional comics, though. No, he's played by Mechab Brooks and he's, like, six foot tall and quite muscular. And looks like oh. a college ball, uh, ball player. Yeah, that that is not skinny nerd Jimmy Olsen. No. But yeah, I mean, I even just don't have another reporter there. Yeah, it, it's it's something that modern films tend to be guilty of overstuffing the cast list. Now, I don't know whether they did it here to try and justify the budget or what, but, you know. Uh, I, th I think it probably wasn't even that thought. I think it was just a case of Jimmy Olsen is a thing from Superman comics, therefore we must have Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. But, like, even if you take him out, because all he really does is get saved by Superman at the end. And that's but, why we've got Lois, right? Yeah, and... You've already got all the other stuff he does, like fixing the fault and kind of rebuilding dams. Saving a cat. Like, saving a cat. Causing a road disturbance by sticking a big old boat on the street. Yeah. Also, logical flaw number... I think this is only my second logical flaw. Yes, I he, think you're right. He drills down through the corner of a high street on an intersection of a busy section of road in Metropolis without cutting through a single water, gas, electrical, telecom or other service ducting. In a city like Metropolis, that would be nigh on impossible. Ah, uh, yeah, but that's because Superman has Super auguring. <laughs> I refuse to believe that that's listed in any list of Superman's powers. 
And I know that in a previous incarnation of this show, we did a list of bizarre Superman powers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's on an official list, but considering that list contains things like super ventriloquism, super tap dancing, and firing a tiny Superman from his fist, I don't think it's that out of place. I remember, I remember when I was a kid, you could buy a toy Superman. I don't know whether it was a car or a plane or something, but it was called a Supermobile, and it had giant fists on the front. Yes, it's from when Superman's tired of punching himself, so he needs a car to do it. Hold on. Have I got that right? Supermobile. Not to be confused with Supercar, the Jerry Anderson classic. Yes, there it is. It literally has fists on the front. Excellent. I mean, I say that like I didn't have a Spider-Man car. That had giant spider legs coming out the side. There you go. Oh, it's that. Yeah, I've seen that thing before. Yeah. Because, yeah, because that's him fighting a Mazo in it. Yeah. Why does he need it? I mean, there, there is another supermobile there, which is, that's more like a Bruce Wayne ripoff. Yeah, that's very much a, I've seen Batman's car and nothing quite <laughs> I won't be one of those. But that's the toy version that I used to have. Yeah, which, and for, for the listeners, is like a rocket ship with fists on the side. So, for a man who can fly and has super strength, completely and utterly redundant. <laughs> yeah. If I do remember right, though, I think the story that I appeared in was one where like, he lost his powers temporarily or something. So obviously, the only logical step is giant rocket with fists on the front. <laughs> I, wonder if he put the, I wonder if he got his mate Bruce to build that for him. Probably. I mean, it, that is the kind of era when Batman and Superman would just have sleepovers at the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> Bruce, you've got to bring a four season sleeping bag uh, shield. But yeah, I, I do like that this film leans into being very silly and very like golden and silver age. Yeah, it, I, that's that's the other thing as well. It, it, it's got a glorious innocence to it that from sort of 1989's Batman onwards, comic book movies kind of lost. They lose that, well, until Joel Schumacher brings it back. Um, yeah, and they, not successfully. Yeah, they kind of lost that goofball innocence. Um, that, you know, it's it's a comic book. It's supposed to be glorious. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be high impact. It's supposed to be action and a bit silly and very colourful and I know I've been knocking some of the logic flaws but it doesn't have to be logical because comedy. Yeah, and it's I think it boils down to the problem of things like Batman 89 and then comics like Watchmen and yeah. Dark Knight Returns where it's suddenly like very uncool 
to be like optimistic basically yeah yeah and i get you know wanting to sort of move comics up as a medium and like tell more interesting stories but i, th- I think they do throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah what what got us into comics as kids is not going to get is not there now to get kids into comic now i don't think um unless they really baby them down because i've seen some that are aimed at kids in the sort of marvel and dc universes but they are a bit <laughs> they're a bit too kiddified yeah and it's still like they don't really capture that same just wild it's a comic book and literally anything can happen wild, yeah wild stuff can happen yeah. Also, I hate how again this is the matter I was saying earlier. I hate how much of a like bad concept it now seems to be to just have a superhero who is a good person. Yeah. Oh no, they're all going to be flawed. Yeah, because people like that one Batman comic where he's really mean. So now all the superheroes have to be really mean. Yeah. Because true art is angsty. Yeah, I believe uh, even Peter Parker once, pel- uh, once pulled uh, Gwen Stacy's hair. He did probably said a rude word to someone. Yeah. Maybe pushed, uh, I don't know, Kurt Connors over to the other side of the lab to make a point. I am starting to come around to this version of superhero comics, though. <laughs> well, it's just stuff like Wonder Woman occasionally walks into a bank and just shoves her way to the front of the line. Yeah. And then flips off everyone behind her. <laughs> so, Superman saying nap off to a few people behind the phone box who are wanting to desperately yeah. make calls all to mom. Do you mind? Also, why bother going into the telephone box? Because in America, this is logical floor number three, in America, they're glass fronted. Well, I mean, and to be fair, they do address that in this film. Because it's got the bit where it looks at the phone, but it's one of those 80s ones where it's just got the little glass roof over it, it just goes. Yeah. And has to like change in a spinning door. thing as well that it gets an origin movie just right because what we want is that first moment where Clark Kent rips open his shirt to reveal the S underneath yeah as, as the kind of music swells up yeah you get your first That's what you want. yeah everything else is building up to that point we don't care who his dad is either on the farm or on crypto we just want to see as the music yeah. goes I mean, although to be fair, who is dad? His is like an important plot thing. I know, but but we still don't care, really. Yeah. As as I feel flying... like in a more modern movie, like you'd get that Metropolis stuff as the start of the film, and then it would probably flash back and do a bit of yeah. origin stuff. Yeah. Absolutely.
But yeah, no, I mean, I think we've gone through a few gripes, but this is a pretty great film, isn't it? It is. It is. And, you know, speaking speaking as that young sort of impressionable comic reading 10-year-old when it came out, it was it was different. Just like Star Wars the year before, there was, there was nothing else like that that was coming out as part of our lifetime. Um, there were no superhero movies. Like I said, I think this was the first one since Batman 66. Um, suddenly, well, you didn't get a spate of them, but then we got things like Condor Man, which isn't a comic strip adaptation, but if anybody hasn't seen it, see if you can find it, because it's just summer. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, the one tragedy of the way the show is set up is that unfortunately we can't do a Condor Man episode. I know. It's, uh... Because just even, like, the, the terrible animatronic wings as they chunk, <laughs> like, chunk, chunk, fall out. <laughs> it's like watching a Poundland vulture. <laughs> they, oh, can you imagine how much better Morbius would have been if you got to the <laughs> post credits? <laughs> oh no, oh, it's just, it's still Adrian Toomes. But because he's not got all his fancy alien technology, he just, just has to make a condom. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, that is actually time to something I was going to mention. Because even with some of the special effects now looking a bit old-fashioned and hokey, I think they still, like, they have a charm and a weight to them. Well, I, I, I think you make a good point. And it, it did strike me in the first couple of flying scenes, um, particularly the one where he, he takes Lois flying. The reason you'll believe a man can fly watching this film is because Reed actually put some effort into the wire work. He actually, he, if you look, if he wants to speed up, he always pushes forward slightly with, with his arms. If he wants to turn, he will lean slightly. And he'll yeah. look. He'll look to where he's going to turn to as well you believe that he's actually doing physical activity. Whereas a lot of the time, the more modern superheroes just do that. Yeah. just They he, just hold their hand out and fly. Exactly. And it's because they've been told, right, you just stand there and do that, and then we'll put everything in in post. Yeah. Which which makes them then... I mean, yes, it makes them look super powerful because it, it looks more effortless but I think you know the point is he should fly he should be putting some effort into arrest his motion in one direction and, and move it in another yeah I this think this does come to my other gripe about all live action Superman and indeed the comic strip representation of Superman right he gets his superpowers from 
not being subjected to the high gravity of a Kryptonian planetary surface and the uh, strengthening powers of our yellow sun as opposed to the oppressive nature of his red sun, right? So he doesn't have to look like he goes down the gym three times a day. Yeah, I mean... He's not like Bats, who has to physically push himself to become a superhero. Actually, I was going to say, I guess George Reed, uh, Christopher Reed's in this, even he is, like, fairly buff, isn't he? Yeah. But I guess he unlike, just... Unlike, he... His, unlike his dad, George. Yeah, he's he's the one who was just kind of... Uh... He was the one who was three pints of shandy on the way home <laughs> from work. <laughs> a bit of a wobbly Superman. But, he but yeah, be... I, I feel like Christopher Reeve doesn't look that overly ripped to me because I'm so used to like the ridiculous MCU levels that yeah. we have now. Yeah. Or Henry Cavill with his like rock board abs. Yeah. But... To be fair, Henry Cavill, I can believe that if you hit him with a crowbar, it would just like bounce off him. <laughs> but, um, well, it certainly does if you throw a coin at him. Oh, because you're hey, tossing a coin hey, to your witcher. Uh, ah, there we go. Hey, I can cross over. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, but it, it's one thing that's always now me with Superman. Any, Well, any of the superheroes who have got super strength through anything other than like Batman working out or having some kind of suit like um suit uh like uh iron man spider-man you know he's got the proportional strength of a spider because of radioactive and comic right not because he's down the gym pumping iron so he doesn't need to be built are you listening comic books yeah I mean, I think what you've hit upon is the general problem with both comics and Hollywood of going, there's like two acceptable body types. Yeah. Yeah, true that. True, true that. Oh. Yeah. Also, this is a good opportunity to plug the best Superman comic, All-Star Superman. Because in that, he's just drawn as a big guy. Right. Like, he he looks like someone who has grown up on a farm doing a lot of physical exercise, yeah. not some ridiculous, like, seven hundred abs Liefeldian <laughs> monster. I, I can I can understand the the farm element, but again, would he actually find the farm work that exertive that it actually builds that level of musculature? It's it's physics. I'm arguing physics against the comic. Yeah, but, yeah, but what, what I mean is, in that sense, he's like naturally big boned, yeah. not like chiseled. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. What else should I we get... talk about? Um, should we talk about where it goes on our list going from a history of balance at number one to Morbius at 38? Well, I think Morbius's position. Is safe. It is indeed. Also, if, it, if, if it's not gonna, uh, well, 
I suspect it's not that safe because I suspect he's going to go to 39. Yeah, yeah, Morbius, you are definitely dropping down another level. Should should I be presumptuous and run through our top five? Oh. Because uh, number one, we have a history of violence. Number two, we have Rogue Expedition. Number three, we have Hellboy. Number four, we have the Suicide Squad. And number five, we have Black Widow. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put forward a suggestion here that will make your blood run cold. But I think when you hear my justification for it, your blood will warm up a little bit. I'm going to suggest that because of its place in comic book movie history, because it's set up so much that is now expected in a comic book movie because it did all the groundwork in breaking into that cinematic mainstream for comic book movies i suggest it goes above hellboy see see coming in i was at least accepting that superman was going to go above the suicide squad that was that was a truth that I kind of just <laughs> let us off with. Did I field you there? You did. That's that's admittedly one higher than I was initially thinking. But I do think you make a solid point. Yes! Because I think like below Hellboy is where I would put it just in terms of like overall enjoyment. But I think it does need to get that extra step just for like how influential it is. Yeah. Because it's so much of this film you realise that oh yeah, like everything else takes from this. Because because if we if we take those examples that I mentioned before, like the sixty six Batman film, the sixty six Batman film doesn't do any of the setup, it doesn't do any of the origin story stuff. Um it just drops you straight into this is Bruce Wayne, this is Dick Grayson, but they explained that in every episode of the Batman series anyway. That this was a youthful Lord Dick Grayson. But in this, they actually—it's it, almost like here's a blueprint. This is how you do a superhero movie. We'll just sit back and wait for the rest to come. And actually, it didn't start happening straight away. Yeah. It's also insane how they basically said, right, this is how you make a Superman movie and then fail to make Superman movies for like <laughs> decades afterwards. <laughs> like even even when they had Brandon Routh, a man who is basically just Christopher Reeve. Yes. Yes, it was struck. I mean, it, it was so striking how much he looked like Christopher Reeve. And uh, they managed to screw it up so completely. But anyway, yeah. Superman 1978 going in as our new number three. And I didn't have to fight for it. You didn't, because I've been. It's Superman in it. <laughs> in it, though. 
like I don't think in good conscience I can argue that this does not belong in like the top three. <laughs> and that meant arguing against Hellboy. Arguing against Hellboy and the Suicide Squad. And Hellboy makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It does. But I think that's got more to do with the dark magic from the Hell Dimension than anything else. It is. That, that is me just sticking my big crown of fire on my head and getting me big... God, I love Hellboy. He's so cool. <laughs> but Superman is Superman. Indeed. So, there we go. Indeed. And I think that takes us to the end of the show. So, if you'd like to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. Especially if they've got like super hearing so they can hear things from half the planet away. You know what another good way of getting new listeners will be, don't you? If we release this in the Phantom Zone. Oh, yeah, that's... You, you've picked up a brand new market. I have, hey. Just put it They've out got there. so much time to listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. Oh, have I? Yes, yes, I have. So long and thanks for listening. Thank you.